Yeah, it is a real privilege to be able to speak um, on this subject. And Dave was very gracious. He sent us an email and he says, we don't very often talk about going, you know, going overseas. And so you have full permission just to go for it and talk about going overseas. And so that's what we're going to do. But I thought that the best place to start is by praying. Um, So I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come um, and speak to us, um, for him to be the one who convicts us and speaks to us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. What a privilege. What a privilege it is, Lord, to worship you, to raise our hands in adoration to you, to hear your truth to have a room full of children and different people from all walks of life around the whole world. What a gift that is, Lord. And we pray that now as we look at your word and we reflect on what it means to come and to go, we pray, Holy Spirit, Will you come? Will you come and speak to us? Will you come and convict us as to what you're saying to us personally? What you're saying to us as a group, but what you're saying to us individually as well. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Yeah, we thank you. We thank you that this isn't a lecture, that this isn't a dry meeting, but... We thank you for your presence with us, the living God with us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Uh, so we're just going to uh, share things out a little bit. So um, Joe's going to do sort of the main talky bit, and then I'm just going to give a bit of a practical thing of how some of what we spoke about happened in us and th- you know, through uh, our experiences of what it felt like to be called. Um, to go overseas. So there's uh, two uh, Bible verses that, um, or passages that we were given, um, and they were Mark 1, 16 to 20, which was, or says, as it says up there, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And then Mark chapter 2, 13 to 17 says, Once again, Jesus went out besides the lake, beside the lake, a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
great. Don't you just love his shirt? It's great, isn't it? I love it. Um, I've got matching trousers. So if you're at branch this afternoon, you'll see me in matching trousers. Um, okay, so this, this passage is very much um, split into two. The first is to come, and then it's to go. And, and that's what Jesus says to, his, to the disciples, to those who he meets. He says, come, follow me. And I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking, you know, Jesus wouldn't have made a mistake in who he asked to come and follow, you know, to come to him. It wasn't just that these guys happened to be there and Jesus thought, oh, all right, I'll ask them. No, we know that that isn't how Jesus works. He saw something in them that he, he knew that these guys were going to have to, you know, start the church. He knew what the, what was ahead of them. And he chose them for a purpose. And, you know, you can't think of more unlikely people, really, that would be chosen. You know, fishermen, a tax collector, people who aren't really well educated, people who are despised. You know, but Jesus saw something in them which he knew was what was needed for the church to begin. And it's the same for us. Like, you know, we are, aren't likely people to be found in Zambia and the DRC, um, especially Chris. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but God saw something in us and a willingness and and he called us. He calls all of us. It's not just certain people who are called. Every single one of you here is called by God. It's not just, oh, I think I'll call Ginny. You know, no, it's everybody is called. And so what are we called to? And it's very interesting that actually what they were called to, those disciples, what they were called to was to come under uh, their rabbi, Jesus, and to imitate his life, to become like him, to spend all their time with him so that they could learn what his rhythms were. They could learn how he dealt with stressful situations, how, um, what his priorities of life were. You know, coming under a rabbi, they, it wasn't just you go for a, few, a lesson and you sit at their feet and then you go away again. No, the disciples, they came, they lived, they slept, they did everything with him. And that is what we all of us here are called to do. We are called to come and live life with Jesus, not just on a Sunday, not just when there's home group or when we feel like it, but we are called 
to come under and to live out our life fully, 100% with Jesus. So what does it mean? What does it mean to really live out our life? don't know what I'm doing with that. Um, with Jesus. So in the African church, um, you will often find in churches that it's Jesus plus. And so in our churches, um, you'll be worshipping God and... Um, and people will talk about Jesus, but then when somebody is sick, um, you'll go to Sangoma, you'll go to a witch doctor, and, and that's fine. You know, that's what they think is fine. So it's Jesus plus witch doctors. Um, or um, Jesus plus ancestral worship. So they, you know, they worship their ancestors and, and, um, bow down to their work and sacrifice to their ancestors as well as Jesus. Now, we're horrified by that, aren't we? And we know that that's wrong. That's not, you know, what we read of in the Bible. But I wonder, and I, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to be really direct um, because these are things which we have been really challenged by. Um, but what about us here? What is our Jesus plus? Yeah, and when I really thought about it, I came up with a few things which, which I know I've had to deal with. And that is Jesus and comfort. You know, my comforts. The things which make me feel just, yeah, a bit of happiness, a bit of comfort around me. Jesus and my safety. Well, that's a bit risky. Don't want to do that. That's a bit risky for my children. You know, all of those areas. So we have Jesus plus safety. Jesus, but with me in control. And that's, that's a massive one. You know, we talk to people, uh, and we used to be the same and had a five-year plan. You know, we're in control. I've got my five-year plan. Jesus, you, you need to fit into the five-year plan. You know, but it, it's what we have in the West is Jesus, but I am in control. And properly letting go of control, believe me, is very painful. Jesus, when I have time. You know, time is something which, you know, where we live now, we, uh, on a weekend, there, believe me, there's very little to do. And so we have time. And it, the contrast is such a gift because here life is so busy. And so it's a real challenge. How do we live wholeheartedly for Jesus and give him our time? And so I think I've learned not to judge the church in Africa because actually I see in the West, we just have different things which we do the Jesus and with. And so what, when, he, when Jesus says to us, come, he is saying, trust me wholeheartedly, depend on me wholeheartedly. Be obedient to me wholeheartedly. 
That is what everybody here is called to. We are all called. And he then will tell us how he wants us to go. And, you know, and here there are amazing things happening in this area. And many of you are being called to go to your neighbor here. But today, unapologetically, we are talking about going overseas, going um, away from your family. So it might be Manchester, it might be Swindon, um, you know, but actually leaving what you would call as home and going. And Oh, oh, I'm meant to have flicked. Oh, I had slides for each point. Okay, sorry. So this is, this is what, so when you go, <laughs> okay, this is the next bit. Uh, so when you go, you have to leave behind. And for us, when we left, we had to leave behind the, the comforts, the, the dog, Bonnie, um, and you know, and we had to leave family and really good friends. We had to leave this church where you know we love this church, um, and we had to go. We had to leave things behind. We had to leave behind security. You know, we had to leave financial security. We had to leave that behind and depend on God. Um, Simon and Andrew and James and John and Levi, Matthew, you know, they had to leave behind their everything that they had security in. They had to, they left their nets. They left everything. You know, Levi left the booth that he was in. He left his income, his security, and, and he went. But Jesus promises us that he will be with us. You know, that that is the security that we're holding on to. And we found that so powerfully, especially this year, that where we have no answers, where we, um, we come with our hands totally empty. We talk about this, that, you know, um, when we go, we don't go with all the answers. Very quickly, you realize that actually what God calls us to and to go to, he calls us to come with empty hands because it, you have to be dependent on him and guided by him. And so you really do go with empty hands rather than all the solutions. You leave behind your family. Um, you can imagine that, you know, the disciples, they left behind family who, you know, weren't always um, supportive. Um, and, you know, and they went. Um, and and so you you leave things behind, but you step into, you step into, oh, look at that. Um, yeah, you step into God's plan for what he, um, what he has 
unfolding before you. You know, sometimes um, when we say, you know, I don't know, go to Cambodia, go to um, DRC or, or wherever it is, you can think, well, you're being called to go into the unknown. But our experience has been so much that you don't do that at all. That when you go, you actually step into relationships. God has gone before you. He knows what he is, who and what he is taking you into. And so you actually, he's prepared those people he wants you to be talking to, coming alongside, praying for, ministering to. And so you're actually stepping into relationship. You're stepping into um, people's lives, but you're very much stepping into uncertainty. Um, That's been a massive thing for us, that we have so much uncertainty of, you know, what next year is going to look like. You know, Barney going to university, not got a clue how we're going to afford that, but we're stepping out in that uncertainty and faith. And our kids are doing it as well. Barney's doing that as well. Um, And so when you go and you leave behind, sounds a bit negative, all of this, doesn't it? It's great. I'm really selling it, aren't I? Um, But when you step into what God has planned for you, yes, there are those wobbly times. Yes, there is that uncertainty. Yes, you don't have that security. You don't have those friends immediately around you cheering you on. But you're stepping into God's will. You're stepping into what he has um, before you and um, planned for you. And what is it that we uh, that for us... Because obviously, I can only really talk about what we found. What is it that we have stepped into and gone to do? And I think the number one thing is to bring hope. Um, we, um, we find ourselves in homes. We find ourselves in situations where tomorrow isn't going to be better than today, that next week the situation is still going to be dire, that this child is going to die, this man is going to continue to be abusive and to speak lies into the lives of women. But what, but what we are called to do is to bring truth and to bring hope into that, those, those places. And that is phenomenal. It is phenomenal to sit with a group of women who have been oppressed. And I've been doing a lot of this this year um, in various countries. And you sit with them and you hear what has been said over them, what the community is saying to them. Because they're a single mum, that means that they're a prostitute. So they walk around the community in shame. Complete lie. It's because men have deserted them 
That is why they're single mums, because their men have gone and found other, you know, gone genuinely to find other work, but then started other relationships. But those women are left behind with the stigma of being said that they're prostitutes. Families who children have died. I met somebody the other day who had 12 children, only six are now living. And she is in the community, they say it's because she curses her children. A complete lie. It is because there isn't the medical system there. And to be able to bring that hope and say, you are loved. You are known by Jesus. You are valued. You are treasured by him. He has a purpose for you. To be able to invite the Holy Spirit into the lives of these women and to see them for the first time acknowledge and know who they are and to feel joy like they've never felt before It is such a privilege, and that is what we step into. That is when Jesus says, go, when you're sitting there and you're thinking, what does this mean for me? You know, is is he saying this to me and my family? It is such an honor to be able to usher in and to introduce who Jesus is. And yes, their circumstances will not change massively. Yes, you know, Hans is wonderful. And, you know, the the feeding of the children and education and all of that is amazing. But the actual transformation that happens is Jesus. That is what is life-changing And that is what, you know, when we first went, we would call ourselves volunteers. And we, you know, because that was sort of, um, uh, not morally, um, acceptable to say that we're going and we're going to be volunteers. Now, unashamedly, I say we are missionaries. Because our mission is to tell them about Jesus. To bring in this hope so I'm just going to quickly tell you about this. I've, I've totally gone off my notes, um, but hopefully I haven't missed anything. Um, and hopefully I've given Chris enough time. Um, but this is something which I've been involved in um, with women. And like I said before, so much is said over them, um, which are lies. And So we've been doing these weekends or days, just a day, um, and it's a bit like wholeness course, simplified absolutely massively. Um, But it's a space where they can tell their stories, where they can actually share what is happening, and then an opportunity to speak truth and to bring scripture and as to who they are. And it's, it's just breathtaking. And then in the afternoon, then we do craft with them. So we teach them some sewing. So you'll see lots of them are wearing hats. And so we sat down with them and we make these hats. And the hilarious thing is, when I first did this, 
I, the whole intention was to make, so we get a big circle of material, then we just put elastic around it and do it all by hand. And the intention is, because there's so many flies and food, you know, yeah, um, to put that over your pot so that then later on, you know, that it won't have got, you know, eggs and things in it. So that was the intention. I literally, I told them about it and we'd done the sewing and everything. I turned around, they had them on their heads. And it was like, okay, (laughs) we're going to make hats. (laughs) And they love it. And it means that they chat and they share with one another and they get to take something home with them. But actually the sewing bit, it's sort of just a vehicle for them to continue those conversations that they've had in the morning, to, to laugh, to, you know, to, yeah, just come alongside one another. And so, you know, who knows what it looks like when Jesus says to you to go? It will look different for everybody. It looks different for Chris as it does, to, you know, for me. We're very different characters and, and he's called us both equally, but in a very different way. And so I just want to really encourage you to be bold, to be brave and courageous and say, where do you want me to go? What is it that you've put in me? What gifts have you put in me where you want me to go and take them? So I'm just going to hand over to Chris, and he's going to, I don't know quite what he's going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say now. You've totally gone off track. No, it's fine. (laughs) Uh, We just thought we'd spend a couple of minutes towards the end just saying a little bit about how this played out in our life. Um, And, you know, just to make it a bit personal... um, some of you may know bits of the story. Some of you probably know all of it. Um, but, um, yeah, just a little bit about, about how this relates to, to us. Uh, just tap it. There we go. This is not how it relates to us. But uh, so maybe sometimes people think uh, that is what happens. But we did get the opportunity once to go back via Egypt, which was great fun. But there are no camels uh, in South Africa or Zambia. So we'll, we'll stay on that stay on that slide. Um, So if you uh, know me or got to know me, if you don't know me, you would know that um, what I'm doing isn't what you'd expect me to be doing. I was very happy in Bristol. Uh, I was very happy with my job. Everything was fine. Um, All I really wanted was enough money to be able to buy some tickets to go and watch England beat Wales at rugby. Um, which is a joke that would have worked better if Dave was still in the room, but, but there we go. Um, but we do know we're in the right place. Okay, we know that we can see the Lord guiding us. And, but it all started about um, 12, 14 years ago, um, around 2010. We went to something that Woody's call a prophecy clinic, where you just go, it's, they're held up at Woodlands, they still do them once every couple of months or whatever, and they just have people who have a bit of a gift of hearing from the Lord. They sit around, they pray, and they just say what they think the Lord is saying. Um, and, and when we went, they just spoke a bit about 
they felt the Lord was asking us to have a spirit of Noah, which I found hilarious, because what on earth does that mean? Uh, and, and they talked about potentially, they just felt that we were maybe being called to Africa. And again, I can, we can both remember as we were leaving the room, we were like, I'm really, really pleased that they feel like the Lord is calling us but it's not going to be Africa. That was not the place I wanted to go at all. But then, fast forward a few years into 2014, um, we thought we were going to be going abroad again, but the reality was, and genuinely this is true at the time, it really looked like it wasn't going to happen. Rihanna was about to start secondary school. We were settled in the church, in my job. So what we decided to do was take six weeks out of school and spend some time in Africa. We had other friends, Brad and Hazel Askew. They were going to Africa, so it made it easy. We just followed a bit about what they were doing. Uh, and we went to Johannesburg. We worked with Scripture Union. Uh, Chris and Margaret Lilly were involved. We went to, down to Cape Town. And we also, through uh, Rob Scott Cook and Brad and Hazel, went to, uh, to Hands at Work. And it was there that we started this partnership with Hands at Work, uh, which a number of you are part of, feeding the children. And we started to do these trips backwards and forwards, leading teams. And that was, again, as far as it was going, we were very, very happy. 2017 came along, and my job started to become a bit more uncertain. And, um, and I was walking the dog one day, and I just because I was praying about this, my job was becoming uncertain. Basically, the choice I had was we could move to York or I could take redundancy and take my chances. And so we're just praying about what we wanted to do. And and I just felt the Lord say, you could go work at Hands at Work, if you like. You could volunteer for them. And so we just started to speak to people, speak to Tim, uh, pray about it. We had these sort of crazy um, confirmations that maybe this was the right thing to do. And, and we went, I went for three years. Joe told me as soon as we arrived, no, actually, we're here for five. Um, and so I was like, okay, fine, we're here for five. And, and then after five years, when the kids went, we just sort of prayed about it, and we just really felt the Lord say, you're, you're to carry on. And when we left originally, we left with, like, some, a bit of financial security from the redundancy money that I had. And now we're stepping out even further with, without that security, but we know that we're doing the right thing. And I just think a couple of the things that um, we've found since we've been there, and I'll cover these very, very quickly, but you know, it sharpens your faith when, you, when, when you're doing these things. Um, you know, The Lord has provided what we need, but n- never in the way that we thought he would. We don't have a job. We don't have income. You know, all those things that you can perhaps rely on or you can go and find another job if you need it. We can't. We don't. Um, but I can tell you stories about the, the biggest gift we ever had was from America, a country we've never been to, from a person we've never met. We don't even know their name. It just appeared. You know, it's just unbelievable. We just heard, oh, some money's come in to hands, America. It's been designated to you. How do we get it to you? It's just crazy the way that these things happen. The people you think are going to give, don't give. People who you think, oh, well, they've got no money. And they give crazy generously. It's just really sharpens you personally. Biblically, it sharpens you. You know, here, this is a story we heard yesterday in the hands gathering. Here, you know, we might talk about forgiveness. 
Over there, you have to answer, how do you go about forgiving someone when they murdered one of your family? How do you go about forgiving your uncle when he beats you every day? And it's like, they are very good questions. You know, <laughs> and you have to actually work through that and think about it. Um, and so you just, it just find it knocks the edges off those things. You lose that control. You, you learn to, more humility. You learn to trust in the Lord more. Just a couple of final thoughts. Part of the reason we told you that story is that our observation is very much God is a God of order. He doesn't just transplant you or very rarely from something you're doing somewhere else. Our journey on this actually started when we were really young. You know, we, when we got married, I, we went with uh, KPMG to Australia all these plans for Joe to get some work to support us. She couldn't get a job. She went to Bible college, you know, and that just provided so much of her confidence in the Bible and understanding. And it wasn't, we never thought that that would be now being applied in Zambia, but the Lord slowly built this story. In 2010, we had no idea we'd be doing this, but the Lord has led us faithfully. Just a, a, a biblical example of, of that is um, uh, I, um, oh, Abraham and Isaac. You know, you hear that story, oh, you could never have that faith. You know, you know, how did he do that? But actually, if you start at the beginning of Genesis, there's story after story after story of the Lord testing Abraham and him consistently failing every step of the way. And yet each time, it just, the Lord put him back on the path, and he just built that confidence that, yes, he could trust in the Lord. Um, so uh, this is my final sentence. It's amazing when you stand up how you just disappear off what you're supposed to be saying. So uh, just two things. I've really noticed this sign up here, this uh, uh, thing hanging down this morning. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. It doesn't matter where you're doing this. It's not whether you're, it doesn't say whose dwelling is in Bristol or dwelling is in Zambia. It's how you dwell in the Lord, how you trust in him. Um, yeah, and, you know, as we enter our seventh year in Africa, I can tell you it is a fantastic journey and the Lord is faithful. Um, you know, we, the challenges we face are real, but God is faithful. And I just want everyone here just to be open to what the Lord is leading to you. Be faithful in that, and you never know where you're going to end up.